Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. In Melbourne, Australia, a socialist organisation called Socialist Alternative organises an annual Marxism conference over the Easter long weekend. This year, they invited special guest Farah Kubesi from the Socialist Forum in Lebanon. Farah gave a keynote address at the conference, which I recorded and broadcast for you now. I continued to be uh, puzzled with my intervention. I didn't really know where to start from um, uh, for this uh, uh, conference. Um, until like very um, uh, few days ago, when uh, a friend of mine, uh, Yazan, is uh, from Syria, um, reminded me that um, there's a narrative and discourse war. Um, just like with every conflict, um, that is very similar to uh, the tireless talking uh, that the Palestinians have done uh, for over 60 years to win people uh, to their side, to their struggle for justice and self-determination. Um, similarly, he reminded me that we should not let go of talking and we should constantly work on winning more people to the Syrian people's right for self-determination and justice. So talking is important so that the narrative, the narrative of the revolution doesn't get lost or probably to be more accurate so it doesn't get twisted or stolen and erased by uh, the counter-revolution. So my intervention um, will be um, about the process of the revolution uh, in Syria and what narrative, actually, we should be defending and what, how we should be reading the Syrian revolution. And in the process, I will try to debunk some of the um, stories and uh, misreadings of, of the revolution. Uh, so first and foremost, the Syrian revolution, we should remember, uh, that started in mid-March 2011, was part and parcel of the revolutionary process uh, in the region and the revolutionary wave uh, in the region that started in 2011. Um, and we cannot understand the Syrian revolution in isolation of uh, what has been taking place in the region and the spontaneous outburst of people uh, revolt in Tunisia, then Egypt, then Libya, uh, then Yemen, then Bahrain. And there's an attempt uh, by section of the left and Assad apologists uh, regionally and internationally to portray the Syrian context as an exception, or to delink it from uh, its regional extension. And why is that? It's because um, this would save them um, from explaining their inconsistency and their selective solidarity. So they, why they would support uh, uh, the, the, the Egyptian revolution and not the Syrian one. Um, so we should always remember that the Syrian revolution has its roots in 
the Arab uprising and that the Syrian people, people had and continues, uh, continue to have the same aspirations of the Arab people from freedom, social justice, democracy, and self-determination. And the Arab uprising were an inspiration for people in Syria who have started organizing and a protest that started back in 2011 in this um, uh, village called in, in Dara'a um, after these kids were tortured actually uh, for uh, drawing slogans on, um, on the wall uh, and um, drawing the slogan of the Arab <laughs> uprising, the people want uh, to, uh, um, to overthrow the, the regime. And when this kid, Hamza al-Khatib, 13 years old, was, uh, wa his body was given back to his family, dead after being tortured uh, from the security services of Assad. So the revolution and protest started from Dara and spread across the different geography of Syria, <laughs> gathering the different components of uh, Syrian society from Kurds to Arabs and Assyrians and Christians and Muslims and Sunni and Alawites. And in different Kurdish areas, um, uh, they joined the, the, the protest as part of uh, the, the revolution. So this post-popular resistance has been the most neglected aspect of the Syrian uprising. Um, and indeed, since the, the revolution started in Syria, um, Syria has witnessed a remarkable level of self-organizing, the Syrian people, um, that is way more radical even than any other country in the region that <coughs> faced similar circumstances. And despite the fact that in Syria there's no trade unions that are independent, like uh, in, for instance in, uh, in Tunisia, or where the working, working class is um, very militant, like uh, uh, the situation in Egypt, um, the people found, uh, found ways of organizing um, uh, in villages, um, and this way, happened through what we know the um, the local councils. Um, and like throughout the Syrian revolution, there were like uh, uh, local councils in different areas in, uh, in, in Syria. And we could have count like seven, 700 local councils. And to, uh, till 2016, we had 350 local councils. And these local councils will uh, organize the life from, um, from A to Z uh, for the people in these uh, areas, uh, organizing um, relief, uh, organizing uh, schools, organizing healthcare, uh, water, uh, electricity, everything, um, when the uh, regime was kicked out of, of these areas. So, um, and it is not a coincidence that um, um, that the free regions, for instance, of uh, Aleppo and Douma, uh, both run by uh, local councils, were among the bo most brutalized targets of regime uh, and Russian bombings. And that these areas represent democratic alternatives, apart from regime and the fundamentalist forces. Um, it's something that Assad and his allies uh, would fear. Um, 
So I'm saying this to say that these dynamics of the Syrian revolution from below were often undermined in the debates around Syria. Uh, of course, the militarization of the, the, the revolution um, has impacted the self-organizing a lot and also impacted women's partic participation in the revolution uh, a lot. But we should remember that this militarization of the Syrian revolution was something that was imposed on the Syrian revolution. It was not a choice um, under Assad like bloody uh, repression. And today we should not uh, uh, forget that a half a million of people have died in Syria and have been killed. And half of the population has been uh, displaced, so uh, whether internally or to um, other, uh, other countries. So the Syrian revolution wasn't understood because it was always more often than not analyzed from above, um, from geostrategic uh, perspective, which sees that the conflict is between, on the one hand, the regime and his allies, like Iran, Russia, and Hezbollah, called the axis of resistance. And on the other side, the US, Turkey, and Gulf states, which is called the imperialist axis. And through this analysis from above, the whole uh, grassroots dynamics were silenced, undermined, and overshadowed. Um, and th the problem with this reading is that it dismisses the, the people struggling on the ground as subjects of re revolution, as agents of change. But it also, it doesn't tell us much about ways, the ways out of this crisis, unless the way out is conceived only as at the hand of the imperial uh, powers, which, which is something um, I don't agree with and I don't share. Um, so what I'm saying is not to undermine uh, or to minimize the importance of uh, imperial in interventions in Syria. On, on the contrary, um, it's a reality that no sane person can uh, uh, deny. The intervention, however, does not arise without being provided a fertile, fertile environment that serves as its outlet. So this intervention is the result of the politics of the current ruling class in Syria. And more than not, the intervening countries, being Russia or the US or Iran or the Gulf countries and Turkey, are cooperating together uh, against the various revolutions in the region. And any of them has no interest whatsoever in supporting a revolution that has a democratic potential. And Russia and Iran and Turkey are play, playing the role of occupying forces in Syria as they each seek to carve out zones of influence um, uh, for their own interests in Syria. And the Syrian people have, not, have been left out of the discussion on the future of uh, their country uh, by the various intervening powers. And it is laughable. Um, that Assad and his supporters uh, continue to claim that he's defending the sovereignty of Syria when he has turned really the, the country uh, 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 open to all sorts of foreign uh, interventions. Um, 
and also like just <coughs> for, to open uh, uh, one uh, one note is that in that sense we need to understand imperialism um, as a structure, not reducing it to uh, one or two countries. Imperialism is the logic of capital, and in that sense, it's not only a, a U.S. characteristic. Um, and various imperial forces in the world today are collaborating despite contradictions to end the revolutionary wave in the Arab world, including Syria. Um, and as we have said it uh, uh, before, over and over again, that the way to challenge imperialism and Israel in the region is through the victory, the victory of the various revolutionary processes in the region. Like, um, there is a statement by Avigdor, uh, uh, Avigdor Lieberman. Uh, he's, he was an um, Israeli foreign minister. In 2011, he said that, um, the, the, the real threat to Israel is not Iran, mm -hmm. is not the Iranian regime. The real threat to Israel is a successful revolution in Egypt. And his analysis why, was, why, was so right. I mean, I wish many of the left today would have uh, heard his statement. <laughs> um, I want to state something, like as a Lebanese socialist, as that belonged to a socialist group in Lebanon, um, our position was and continues to be against all forms of uh, military interventions in Syria again and against all imperial uh, forces. And that we believe that the liberation will come at the hand of the Syrian people themselves. And that the freedom of the Syrian people will never come at the end of the hands of any government. Um, and Syrian militants who believe that Trump is on their side, which is understandable, even if they say it. I understand why they would say it, because after being left out by almost everyone in the world, um, I still believe that they are uh, uh, being absolutely wrong. The US government, which has suppressed uh, revolutions across, across the globe, uh, does not have any good intentions towards the Syrian revolution. The U.S. Uh, government, which oppressed fellow revolutionaries in Egypt, Bahrain, Yemen, Iraq, Palestine, has zero interest in supporting Syrian revolution and Syrian people's uh, right for self-determination. What defines our position is um, the Syri Syrian people's right for self-determination. Um, we will not get self-determination through the regime and its allies, uh, nor the armed reactionary uh, uh, forces or uh, counter-revolutionary forces who have very sexist, sectarian uh, 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 agendas. Um, um, and we should definitely oppose all forms of counter-revolution. Sectors of, uh, on the left believe that Assad is anti-imperialist. And I think that there's no more false propaganda than this one, seriously. Um, so Assad has been uh, serving the US national security interests for years. He took part in the CIA rendition program. Mm -hmm. He has kept the border with Israel calm for decades. Um, with him, the neoliberal turn in the country has been accelerated to the benefit of global capitalism. If during Hafez al-Assad area, 
uh, era. Uh, um, Syria was a regime of uh, state capitalism <coughs> with a uh, nationalist, uh, with the na which the national Ba'ath party called socialism. Um, when Bashar al-Assad came to power, he entirely opened Syria's economy uh, to the imperialists. Um, and the gradual increase uh, of neoliberal policies and privatization exaggerated the inequality between the poor and the rich in, in Syria. And with a small portion of the crony capitalists and loyalists to Assad, like Makhlouf family and others, uh, were able to benefit from these uh, policies, the vast ma majority of the Syrian people uh, was uh, disenfranchised. So um, the other understanding of the Syrian revolution is that it has been looked at as a sectarian war between a majoritarian Sunni po population against an Alawite uh, uh, regime. And this understanding is also completely wrong. Um, and the sectarian reading of the conflicts uh, in the Arab region as a whole has been there for so, for so long. And this, this reading is, uh, if I may say, very elitist and uh, very orientalist. Huh? Um, the, the regime, uh, this regime cannot be only described uh, as a Alawite regime. It's an authoritarian regime patrimonial one, privatized by the Assad family, that has used sectarianism, but not only sectarianism, it has used tribalism, it has used clientelism to divide the Syrian people all over. Um, and on the other side, various strata of the uh, Syrian population has been part of the revolution, including Alawites. Um, and the sectarian uh, uh, um, reading of the conflict in, in the region is, I think, is a weapon um, to eclipse the class uh, background and the social, economic, and political depths of uh, the revolutionary wave in the region and in Syria. Um, so here, I think it is necessary for us as socialists um, not to be dragged into the sectarian discourse and to look at the socio-historical and class dimension, dimensions that led to this, uh, to this revolution. Here I don't mean also to undermine the, the present or to say that there is no sectarianism. This is not what I'm arguing. But what I'm saying is that the reading only through a sectarian lens to the conflict in the region is not adequate. Um, Assad regime, like other, other, other regimes in the region, have placed the sectarian card in, in order to divide the people, like his father before him, like Hafez al-Assad, actually. So it is not a secular regime in any sense of the word. Um, although the Ba'ath regime masked itself as a secularist, um, in reality, this was a myth, as it constantly uh, adopted used and co-opted religion to protect its rule. Um, the Ba'ath regime built mosques and funded Islamic schools, raised the pay for the country's Sunni religious establishment, uh, propagated Islam in the mass media, and encouraged a conservative Islamic establish establishment 
to legitimize his regime. In 1973, for instance, Assad introduced, Hafiz al-Assad, introduced an amendment to the secular constitution which, which declared that the religion of the president is Islam. And, um, and this, this is to compete with other forms of uh, uh, Islamic contestation to the regime, like the Muslim Brotherhood, for instance. So, and this, this strategy was also adopted by uh, Nasser regime in, in Egypt. So it's not a specificity, a specificity of uh, Hafiz al-Assad, but it is a specificity of the national uh, 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 the national uh, regimes in the in, in the in the in the Arab region. So these national regimes are way are, are so distant from secularism, or as they portray themselves, they have used manipulated and co-opted religion to 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 stay in power and accumulate power. And in this environment of sectarianism, that Islamic fundamentalist that fundamentalism grows. So within sectarianism that is used by these regimes that fundamentalist forces found uh, a very important uh, environment to grow. Um, of course, adding to many other elements, such as the defeat of the Sunni political Islam in power in Egypt and in Tunisia following the downfall of Mubarak and Ben Ali, this also allowed factional groups to emerge as a hard-line hard alternative to the, uh, to the Muslim Brotherhoods, for instance. Very organized, with funding and a clear program, they were, not, they were more attractive, especially to the most radicalized uh, militants. Adding to that, the Shia political Islam was on the offensive with the support of, uh, uh, from Iran. So Lebanon Hezbollah has intervened from a very, be very beginning in the Syrian conflict with a very sectarian perspective to defend the dictatorship uh, in Syria against mm -hmm. the revolution. And also, we should not uh, forget the whole the Iraqi con uh, context, which uh, Nuri Maliki government has led a wide offensive on Sunni areas. Such factors combined with a continuing destruction of the social fabric in Iraq and Syria, adding to both regimes' heavy uh, repressive and sectarian policies and a bloody history of imperialism and regional intervention, this provided groups like ISIS both a political momentum and a sectarian uh, purpose. So the upsurge of extremist groups among the opposition um, has benefited Assad a lot, as he has since positioned himself as the lesser evil and the only alternative uh, to extremist group. And, um, and this hijacking of the revolution by counter-revolutionary uh, reactionary forces has not only uh, resulted in the temporary defeat and dissolution of democratic groups fighting for the construction of a more just uh, society in the region, but also strengthened Assad hold on the country as he used the presence of violent extremists to deploy violence uh, on a massive scale, crushing all forms of opposition, similar to Sisi today. No? under the pretext of fighting terrorism, smashing all forms of uh, opposition uh, in the country. Um, so these regimes do not really fight terrorism, 
um, but create a fertile ground for, uh, 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 for its continuation and spread. Um, and this environment guarantees that there's fear and silence can contribute to the silencing of uh, the population. And a lot of this argument is traveling across uh, the region among the people in Lebanon and in, G in Egypt, for instance, they will say, we don't want to become like uh, Iraq and in, like Syria. And people are really afraid of, you know, terrorism and all this fear. Fear is something that give oxygen to dictatorship, and this is for sure. So as progressives that stand in solidarity with the Syrian people, we should not support any of the sides of the counter-revolution. We should call for, for, an, uh, for uh, an end to Assad regime and war um, on its people, and demand, most importantly, that Assad be prosecuted for crimes against humanity. We should also push imperial state to stop all forms of support for Assad and stop shielding him and his regime from international justice. To go back and find, this is sorry, uh, my final point, to go back to my first point uh, on narrative, my message is that it's absolutely important for those of us who stand against Assad, Islamic fundamentalist, and all foreign uh, intervention uh, in Syria and with the Syrian revolution to fight for our analysis on the left and fight for solidarity with oppressed people around the world who are resisting and not to miss any, any chance to speak out, whether out at rallies or public forums. We have a lot of work to do in order to build a strong also anti-war movement. And we must challenge pro-Assad arguments on the left and fight to shape the growing resistance against the right and far right so we can actually pose a challenge to the status quo. And we need a left that stands with oppressed, with the oppressed, not with the oppressors. And um, from Assad to Putin uh, uh, and to Trump, we need a left that doesn't a whitewash dictatorship mm -hmm. under the pretext of fighting imperialism. In 2003, we hold the slogan, no to war, no to dictatorship. And I think during the war on Iraq, of course. And I really think that this should be our motto again when it comes to Syria and to the Arab world in general. Thank you. That was Farah Kubaisi speaking at the 2017 annual Marxism conference in Melbourne, Australia over the Easter long weekend. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, and that's 3cr.org.au. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.